Fear is the mind killer. Welcome to Primary Technology, a show about the tech news that matters. Today, we're going to talk about the mass wave of returns of Apple Vision Pro and whether or not I'll be returning mine. Google had a pretty great Super Bowl ad, Amazon Prime stripping more and more features from their bottom tier. Apple has an AI image generator that they're actually talking about, OpenAI working on web search, and more. This episode is brought to you by Audio Hijack, my favorite audio recording application on the Mac. We're your host, Stephen Robles, and I'm joined as always by Jason Aten. How's it going, Jason? It, it is very good. It is good. It's snowing, <laughs> it's the, but it's good. You're being snowed in, right? Aren't you yeah. buried in snow right now? <laughs> I am. I'm in my igloo right now recording this. It's a very nice igloo, though, thank, thankfully. Oh, that's uh, that's very good. Yeah, you actually have a bespoke office in the backyard. I'm still working up to that. I do. I want, I want that shed. The downside is that when it's snowing, like it is right now, I cannot run my right. heater and have internet out here for oh. reasons we don't need to get into. So I actually have a a heating pad on my seat right now. So if at some point my lips turn blue, we're just, could we be done? Wait a minute, wait a That's minute. Why. You can't run the heat and your internet at the same time. Is that what I heard right? <laughs> yeah, haven't I explained? I thought I've explained this to you. So our internet, my internet out here runs between two Google. Brought over by carrier pigeon or whatever. It is. Yeah, we like... whisper it out the window. No, it's because it's running along. I have uh, ethernet over power adapters at both ends. So it sends the ethernet right. over the power line. The problem is when you turn on the mini split, it draws too much amperage and the internet is like, nope, sorry, I'm getting out of the way. It's like standing in the middle of a freeway and it doesn't want to get hit by electrons or however that, I don't know how that works, but it, I don't have internet and heat at the same time. So seems like a problem I should solve at some point, but not today. Well, at least we don't record a high definition video podcast every week uh, on, on said internet. <laughs> but I will say, ladies and gentlemen, if you've not uh, followed my YouTube channel, you know, I'm obsessed with bandwidth. Yes. I'm still trying to figure out how to make a t-shirt that says like obsessed with speed or need for speed or something with like the speed test needle to two gigs. Yeah. I'm working on it. If anyone else wants to work on it, please, please do. It should be encouraging to you that I did choose internet over heat. Well, I appreciate I chose to have the internet. <laughs> I appreciate that. We would not be talking if you had chosen the other. Right. But uh, my two gigs up and down have little bearing on this call because we're, we're at the mercy of your power over or ethernet over power. Can I borrow a gig or two from you, please? Yeah. It's like <laughs> I would love to send you a gig. I wish I could send you a gig. Oh, uh, but anyway, oh, we got a lot to talk about. Oh, I'm curious. You know, I got my Vision Pro sitting right here. It's my last day to return it today as we record. And so we're going to talk about the wave of people uh, actually going to return it. And some people who couldn't even buy it uh, because their eye prescription wasn't supported. Before we do, had many five-star reviews. Thank you all for supporting the show with those five-star reviews. Uh, we didn't make 100 yet. And so I have a suggestion. Uh, if you haven't left a review, uh, you're going to want to hear it because I think it's going to be hilarious. But anyway, five-star reviews from right. Price one Jenna Core, who had a personal tech question, which we'll be closing out the show with that. It was pretty fun. Peabody42, uh, one of the things we asked last week is leave your notes app that you might use. And they use Apple Notes, which I think is underrated. It's a great notes mm -hmm. app, but also Evernote for work. Now, I thought Evernote was like fossilized. I guess Evernote mm. is still alive. Theoretically, it is still alive, but it has been stripped for parts mostly. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, because listen, I'm I'm an OG Evernote Evernote user, and I actually canceled my yeah. Evernote subscription this year or last year actually. So my, uh, I was going to say former friend, but he's still a friend. Former <laughs> 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 William Gallagher. Oh. I know he has a huge Evernote database. I don't know what he's doing with it. PKEV says, love the podcast with the other guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe I'm, who knows who the other guy is. There you go. <laughs> Robert I. Surface, reviewer 1976, and their one word written review just said nerds. Five stars. All they wrote was nerds. And so here's my, here's my request this week. 
for us to get to 100, I know a lot of times you don't know what to write. You want to write something long. Everyone just go to Apple Podcasts, give a five-star rating, but leave a review and you could just say nerds. And I feel like if we had a couple dozen reviews that just say nerds with five stars, <laughs> I think that'd be hilarious. I love that screenshot. People are going to think that we asked people to tell us what their favorite Halloween candy is. Nerds are a terrible candy. I'm just going to say that true. outright. I would agree with you. The only thing worse is candy corn. How do you feel about that? I, I, I'm going to soft disagree with you because I don't want to get into the argument right now, but <laughs> we should definitely, actually, that's one of the original things of our friendship was that's true i would randomly be places and i'd find a completely bizarre form of m&ms or a reese's and i would just take a picture and send it to <laughs> steven right. like a reese's comes with the uh, pringles chips in it or yep. whatever. <laughs> like pretzels and stuff yes that's true. which they had a they had a uh are we allowed to say super bowl yes on, on this podcast yes are, are we gonna get in trouble you can't i hope so. so you know these laws yeah oh okay. i know all of the laws so i don't have to say the big game anymore like, no, you I can, can call it the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. We can refer to it as the Super Bowl. Because during the Super Bowl, Reese's had another new version come out, which was like caramel or something. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about Super Bowl that later. So Apple Vision Pro returns. There's been a wave, or at least seems like on social media, because everybody who returns has to post about it. I think <laughs> you're contractually obligated to post if you return your Apple Vision Pro. I think that's true. But there are many returning it. Yeah, I think, I think it is true. So Verge has the article here. Also, Verge staffer Parker Ortolani, follow him on threads and Twitter. He's a great follow, but he returned his, and he was, a, he was like a fan of the device. It wasn't that he didn't like the device. It was just the sentiment that he and I think a lot of Vision Pro owners have right now, which is it just doesn't, don't use it very often. And B, for his face specifically, it was uncomfortable to use. And so if this device is uncomfortable to use, I, you know, I, I could totally understand keeping that would be a hard sell. Because unless you're going to use it for a long time, if it's uncomfortable to do it, you're not going to do it. But I, I have a similar sentiment. Well, first of all, you didn't secretly buy an Apple Vision Pro this past week, did you? I still have not bought one or returned one. So <laughs> Okay. Well, look at that. That's one less return in, in, in Apple's <laughs> yes. queue. My theory about the returns is that if people who bought them, because you said it was a mass wave, I know that you were just using slight hyperbole because it's kind of like, I feel like all of the people who returned them are people who bought Vision Pro and have YouTube channels, which is and did reviews of them and have decided they- <laughs> The Venn diagram of people who have bought Vision Pros and have YouTube channels is very overlapped. <laughs> but I also feel like it can't be more than like a thousand people. And from reports, Apple yeah, has sold true. something like 200,000 of these. So I don't know if it's a mass wave, but I, I mean, there are legitimate reasons. I think you mentioned Parker, who uh, developed like potentially like a burst blood vessel in his eye or not directly saying it was related, yeah, but after yeah. using it for a while, I was like, I, I probably wouldn't continue to put something on my face either if no. I burst a blood vessel in my eye. So I, I can understand why some people are thinking this isn't for them. I totally get it. So I will be honest. So I've now had it for two weeks. Here it is. I didn't even put it on to start this episode. Here Thank it is. the Lord. I also share the sentiment of I've not used it very much in the past two weeks. After that first weekend and week trying to make videos about it and review it and talk about it in my day-to-day -day life, working, whether sometimes watching stuff at night, I just don't find myself putting it down very often. A, because when it comes to productivity, I know some people are like, I wear this thing eight hours a day and I work in it. And I just have to say, I tried multiple times to mirror my Mac screen into Apple Vision Pro. It's cool for a few minutes, but when it comes to actually managing Windows and working like productivity, I, I just far prefer my studio display, which is a nice big screen. 
None of it is blurry. Right. <laughs> because I'm looking at this window. Nothing is blurry. The foveated, there's no foveated rendering. And I just find like command tab is really cool on the keyboard. You know, that's a fun shortcut as is just all the other keyboard shortcuts I use all the time when I'm working. And so I don't use it for work. And when it comes to watching stuff, I've, I've watched like an episode of For All Mankind with my wife, not in Apple Vision Pro, obviously, <laughs> if I want to watch a video with my kids, like I'm never, I'm not going to put this on. I'm not going to be the only dude wearing it because then, hey, what am I going to do? Airplay from this to the Apple TV. So I just don't find myself using it. If I'm ever by myself, no one's around and I have a few moments to watch something, that's maybe when I think about putting it on. And I am traveling a couple times in the next few months and I'm 100% looking forward to using it on the plane and probably a hotel room, but it is, for most people, a very expensive device to have sit around yeah. just most of the time. Yeah. I think that it's it's probably like, it's a tough sell, I think, for a lot of people who, who like, the question is, what would people do with this in their everyday life that they couldn't already do with a Mac or with an iPhone or with an iPad or whatever? And I think, I just think this is the thesis that I have is, it's a very expensive device for someone to buy not having a reason to buy it. And one of the arguments is like, well, but the Apple watch, right? Like people would buy the Apple watch and Apple didn't figure the Apple watch out until the second or third generation. I'm like, yes, but the original Apple watch was like $350. It's a lot. And it did do one thing that you expect from a watch, which is it tells time, <laughs> right? So it's a little bit easier to buy a $350 digital watch, which is an expensive digital watch. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And it took a while for Apple to figure out the software and to realize that the thing that this is really going to become is a health device. It took some time. I mean, right. the original iPhone, same thing. There was no app store when the iPhone, that's like the thing we think about with the iPhone is being able to put third party apps, but you could still do things with it. And again, the original iPhone was like, what, $500, right? So I think it was like six or seven at first. And then like the price drop. Yeah. So, okay, fine. It was still like, anyway. it was not $3,500. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that there's just this difference in terms of like, do you have a use case for this? And does it line, you know, where's the balancing point between that use case and $3,500? The last video I made about it, which none of these videos are performing great because I think everyone's tired of Vision Pro. But anyway, (laughs) the one one comparison I made was like, how would you feel about buying a top of the line iPad Pro, which in my video I show like you can spec this thing up to over $3,000 if you didn't know. And this is a now almost two year old thing. Like the M2 iPad Pro, it was released fall 2022, you know, because we didn't get any new iPads in 2023. So it's a pretty old device. Buy it new, spec it out with two terabyte SSD, cellular data connection, magic keyboard. You're talking over $3,000. And for most people, spending that amount of money on an iPad is like probably a visceral reaction. I think like the average person, most people at most think about spending five or $600 because I've actually bought refurbished iPads like for my kids in the past. You can get them on Amazon for like 200, 250. And a couple of year old iPad is actually really a good iPad because Apple's yep. processors are really good. And so knowing that you can spend that amount and get an iPad, like spending over $3,000 on a big iPad Pro that you might only use to look at articles and watch stuff when you're traveling, which again, I feel like is an interesting parallel to Apple Vision Pro. Like, yep. would you be okay doing that? on an iPad. Because if you're not, if you don't feel good about spending over $3,000 on an iPad Pro that you're not sure how you're going to use, then you really probably shouldn't try the Apple Vision Pro because at least try to get one because it's going to sit around a lot. Like it it sits on my desk. I charge it every once in a while because the standby battery is not great. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. if you, 
if if you have the battery connected to the Apple Vision Pro, which Apple recommends you do, like in their support articles, they say you can keep the battery connected so it syncs your stuff when you're not using it. If you keep the battery connected, the next time you pick it up, it's dead. Oh, I've left it overnight several times. The battery has been at like 90 something percent. And the next day it's at like 10 or 20 percent and then it's dead and you have to charge it. So like not great standby time, unlike an iPad, by the way, I could pick up an iPad after days and you still have like enough battery to use it. And so it's just, I get it. I get why people are returning it. And some people like Zach Hall from nine to five Mac, he actually wanted to get one, but his strength prescription for his eyes was actually, is actually not supported. And he, uh, I forget who he was, but he talked with someone on social media and basically when it's over a certain number, I think if the cylinder has like a greater than five uh, deviation, he actually puts his prescription in this article for nine to five Mac. It'll be in the show notes. He just can't get Zeiss inserts for this mm. powerful of uh, needed prescription. And so he just can't even use it. He's tried contacts. Those don't work. Of all the devices Apple sells, probably the most finicky when it comes to, you got to get dry prescription, you keep it charged, you wear it on your head, the light seal. I was listening to Gruber and Adam Lissagor talk on the talk show about Gruber got a different size light seal from his online order than his in-store experience. Yep. Like they measured his face in-store and they got him a different size. And now I'm like, I also have that thought in the back of my mind now. I was like, oh shoot, if I go to a store, will they give me a different size light seal and would that be a better experience? All of that, just finicky. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I, so one thing I'm curious about is whether it would change your mind. So you mentioned Gruber on his one of his other podcasts that he does with Ben Thompson, uh, Dithering, which is a subscriber-only podcast that they do twice a week. And they were talking, and I think it was one of the two of them said that one of the upcoming betas was going to include multiple su- support for multiple Mac displays in Vision Pro. And then separately from that, uh, Ben Thompson has said that he has heard from people at Apple who are using Vision Pro right now with multiple Mac displays and that they are higher resolution, okay. that they're fi- they've fixed the resolution thing. So I'm curious, like if you could do that, if you could have two Mac displays inside your Vision Pro, would that make a difference for you? And they were higher resolution. I'm a one monitor kind of guy. Okay, then. Even with the option of multiple monitors, I don't prefer it. I prefer to use multiple spaces and desktops and mission control just because I feel like, again, like your eyes are at a place on screen. If I'm looking in the middle of my monitor, if I want to have other windows somewhere, rather than turning my head or turning my eyes to see a secondary monitor, I'd rather just swipe with two fingers on my mouse yeah. and move the desktop. And so my eyes stay right where they are. And now I see new content, <laughs> new, new screen. <laughs> and I get you know, people maybe were like day traders or whatever that have like 18 monitors and they're looking at every stock yep. and every penny that changes. So I understand there's some use case for it. I think video editors, which technically I am, like you like having the preview full screen over here and then final cut over here. I get that that's the thing too, but honestly, the studio display is just, is big enough. It looks great. I don't need another one. All right. It's great. Not com- you're not convinced. I'm not convinced. You know who else is not convinced mm. about the Apple Vision Pro is Mark Zuckerberg, mm. the CEO of that, Meta. That was quite the setup I just gave you, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. The Meta CEO went on a Meta platform, namely Instagram, to talk about the Meta Quest 3 and how it's better than the Apple Vision Pro. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's been getting hammered on social media about this video. And you have a whole article on it. It's a great article. I want you to t- tell me your theory. Yeah. And tell me what you think about it. Because you said he might be right about something, which I don't I don't disagree. Yeah. I think just what's weird, what's weird is it sounds like defensive and it's a, it's a weird play. Now, yeah. I posted a couple things to be funny 
uh, after this because that's what you do on the internet. <laughs> Number one, but I posted like reviews that I would love to see Apple execs give. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. It's it it's, it did that thread did well, <laughs> but uh, basically, you know, I would love to see. Let me share this. I would love to see Craig Federighi review the Facebook app. I think that would be hilarious. Just seeing him hammer it. I'd love to see Eddie Q. We've not heard from for a while. I'd like for him to review the Humane AI pin. I feel like that would be a hilarious review. Johnny Saruji, I want him to review a $199 Chromebook. Mm. I think he would just tear that thing to shreds. It'd be amazing. No, literally, he would rip it in half. He would just take it apart. He'd just be like, this thing is garbage. He would hulk out. (laughs) Yep. Rip the Chromebook in half. That would be amazing. He'd get the views on that. (laughs) Deirdre O'Brien, which is the Apple retail store. uh, She's over Apple retail. I'd love for her to review an AT&T store. Because I've been in a couple recently, and those things are rough. Uh, John Turnus reviews the Pixel tablet, and of course Tim Cook reviewing Siri. Which you know that that last one was like a little too real. Yeah, and maybe you know I didn't get a lot of likes from from Apple people probably because of that last <laughs> the last one I I snuck in there. But uh, I think what's interesting, and then later in this thread, I had people that were like, "Yeah, if you think back, Apple used to hammer a lot of, or you know, talk about other individual products in their keynotes a lot." And to their point, Steve Jobs era, like the iPhone launch. Yeah. He literally had a slide with like Blackberry, Trio, whatever. Like he used to like directly address competitor products. And when the iPad launched, he directly addressed netbooks. You know, he didn't say a specific model or brand, but he put a netbook on screen and says like, nobody likes these things. So I understand like in the past, Apple has addressed other specific products, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Apple has done that in quite a while. I don't remember in any Apple event recently. The the closest they get is when they talk about the M chips and they'll say the M3 Max is this much faster than the to- leading desktop graphics card or whatever. And like maybe in very, very small asterisk font is the like the model they're talking about. Usually you have to really go and search on their website what that claim is based off of, like what product. But there's rarely an Apple exec directly reviewing or talking about another company's device and having like Mark Zuckerberg in a weird like Instagram reel, like talk about how his product is better than Apple's product. It felt weird to me, like in a weird defensive way. I don't know. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell me your theory. Well, yeah. And I mean, in those, in those keynotes, Apple doesn't say like our gra- the M series graphics are better than the RTX 4090. They don't specifically like, you know, the, the 4090 right. is, it's, it, I tried it out thinking it was, you know, going to be okay. And I was convinced it's not, <laughs> they don't do that. Like you're right. That, I mean, the last, exactly. the most obvious example of Apple doing that are the Mac versus PC ads with Justin Long, right? Where they, and those were humorous and they were like, that was a long running thing that they did for a long time. And that was really an effort to, you know, they, once they're on Intel, right. They were trying to like equalize different things, but that was still Steve jobs era too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was absolutely still, yep. Yep, yeah, it was yeah. still Steve jobs. So the thing about the video and the reason that I wrote about it and the part that I think that Zuckerberg got right is that he says that the quest is a better product for the majority of things that people used mixed reality for, right? Which is true. Actually, it is a better, pro- and, but the reason has nothing to do with the technology. I don't think anybody, including Mark Zuckerberg would argue that the vision pro is not the very best technological feat in, in this category of product. I, I don't think he's arguing that the, right. that the quest is more well-made with better, better materials and better technology. What he's just saying is it's better to use for the things people are using. It's lighter. You don't have to carry a battery around. Like that's a thing he talked about, you know, in, in his little review there, my point was that is definitely true. And 
I don't think Apple cares because I don't think Apple sees this as a device that people will use to do the things that they're currently using VR headsets for. They're just, they, that's why they call it spatial computing. They don't call it AR, VR, MR. Like they're not using any of those right. terms. They're using spatial computing. The problem, and the reason I think that you know, Mark Zuckerberg's observation is a problem for Apple is no one is doing spatial computing. It's just not a thing that's a part of the way anyone works. And if you want to get people to do that, 3,500 or you could spend more than fourth. I mean, if you're really, really going to go all in on spatial computing, you're no, no question you're spending more than four grand on this thing. And for four grand, you can get an M3 Max MacBook Pro with, you know, two, eight terabytes of hard drive space or something. Maybe that's not actually yeah. true because hard drive space or, you know, storage space is expensive. But my point is it's expensive. no one's using it to do those things. They're going to Apple want, you can't even play games right. on the vision pro. Although breaking news as we're recording, Apple announced, I think, hold on, I'm looking 12. I just saw that news that <laughs> unique spatial games in Apple arcade for vision pro. So there's 12, there's 12 games that you can play that are unique. And then there's, I guess, 200. And this is like super fruit ninjas now out synth riders, wildflowers. So I don't know anything about any of these games and I do not have a vision pro. So I can't touch some Lego builders journey. Actually, that looks sweet oh. to be perfect ground. <laughs> But I don't think I'm going to buy, I'm not going to buy a Vision Pro just for that, just to be clear. Now, wait a minute. Some of these already existed. Like this Synth Riders. Yeah. I actually installed this and my friend Jacob played it uh, like the day I got Vision Pro. Yep. So that's, that's already existed. These, these have been in the arcade, I feel like. Yeah. So this may not actually be new news. Apple may just be talking about it right now. Coming soon. Coming soon. So Alto's Odyssey. Honestly, I'd be down for playing that in Vision Pro. The Gibbon one. Okay, so we'll put a link to this Apple Newsroom article, but the, the headline was Apple Arcade for Apple Vision Pro takes players into a new dimension with 12 unique spatial games and more than 20. Yeah, so I don't know if it was, there's some coming soon ones, but yeah, you can, you can get these. Okay, so there was absolutely anyway. nothing breaking in that breaking news segment that we just did, so my apologies. <laughs> that was exciting though. But <laughs> I saw the newsroom thing and I was like, what was that? But, but so, that so I guess it actually just makes my point that there's still nothing that you can, if you what you really want to do is those types of things. The, the Quest 3 probably is a better product for most people if that's the case. It's just Apple is trying to create a, they're sort of piggy, it's kind of, it is very similar to the way Apple piggybacked on smartphones, but turned them into a completely new category. The thing is, at the time, the gap between the smartphones that you might buy, like Blackberry, Palm, whatever, and an iPhone was not nearly the same as, I mean, at the beginning, Zuckerberg says, you know, uh, the Quest 3 does all these things and it's like seven times less expensive, which is a real thing that matters to people. It is real. And I, I did see a, some of the people who returned their Apple Vision Pro were like, I returned it and got a Meta Quest 3. This shot yeah. right here, though, <laughs> this yeah. is the funniest shot of this entire video, which is if you're listening, at one point, Zuckerberg is like, and this entire video is filmed on the high-res pass-through cameras of the MetaQuest 3. And they cut to the shot of the guy that's actually wearing the Quest 3 facing Zuckerberg. And it's, you're not expecting it. And so the first time you see it, it is kind of just hilarious. So click Jason's article, go to it, because he has the video embedded, and you can just watch it there. Yep. And it's kind of hilarious. But I, I think it's interesting. It, it It's weird because it feels defensive that like the like the CEO of another, like one of the four huge tech companies, or maybe there's five, whatever, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, Meta, Google, Apple, like one of the big ones is here addressing an individual product that another makes. And I feel like that would be like Sundar Pichai being like, you know, the iPhone 15 is really not that different than the iPhone 14. Like, I feel like that's, that's what this feels like. Yeah. Or uh, Satya Nadella being like, you know, 
Excel is better for spreadsheets than macOS numbers. Did you know that? You know, I feel like it has that kind of, and that would be weird. I, I think you're right, except for yeah. it would be more like if Sundar Pichai got on, uh, did a video because Apple released a search engine and he just started doing searches and he's like, oh, these blue links are garbage, <laughs> right? Like that's exactly what it would be. That, that, that is interesting, which we're going to talk about search engines uh, in a little bit because OpenAI has some news there and there's some rumors of AI in Apple's camp uh, for that. But anyway, I, I thought it was interesting. Go watch uh, Mark's video. But the, the last thing I'll say, which I don't know if I missed it. You watched the uh, the big game, right? Or the Super Bowl. I'm still afraid to say Super Bowl. I don't know why. You, you watched the big game, I assume? Uh, yeah, but here's, I want to just put your mind at ease. If we get this podcast to a point where the NFL cares that we call it the Super Bowl, <laughs> we should just throw our own party, okay? Like, I think it'll be fine. Very Maybe good. we shouldn't put it in the uh, title of the no, 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 no. episode, but we can say the words as often as we want. It'll be fine. I just, I just wanted to say that same. first. And I did watch both the big game and the Super Bowl at the same time on the same television. <laughs> okay, very good. Now, I, I don't think I've, I've stepped away for a, a couple times, but I saw most of the commercials, which I thought was actually a decent year for commercials. There were, there were some good ones. Yeah. I don't remember seeing an Apple Vision Pro, a new Apple Vision Pro ad. Did I miss it or was, there was not one, right? I, I, didn't, I did not see one. But I mean, Apple's big thing during the big game, see, see what I did there, was the halftime show. So you just did right? it. It was Usher. So right, oh, I, yeah, I think Apple all their, their focus was just on Apple music. Which, side note, untech related, but, you know, I watched the halftime show. It was pretty good. And the, and the halftime show was sponsored by Apple Music. Like Apple Music put it on or whatever. Yep. There was a moment when Usher is like roller skating with a bunch of other roller skating dancers on a platform. I thought it was a very cool moment. Like I thought it was a fun halftime thing. 100%, a bunch of people said this, but Apple should 100% have an immersive experience where you can watch the halftime show in <laughs> Apple Vision Pro immersion like seeing those roller skaters like go by or whatever it probably make you sick but it would be an amazing experience just to see that uh halftime show in apple vision pro also alicia keys who's one of the three or four immersive videos you can watch right now was also part of the halftime show yep spoiler if you didn't see it but she was there <laughs> she was there singing but there was no other ad for apple vision pro and so i thought that was interesting i thought that would be a, a kind of a prime opportunity for it but notably apple competitor google I thought actually had a really good ad and you also wrote about it, but it was an ad for Google's, it was kind of the pixel. It was honestly, you know, Apple is usually known for like the emotion pulling ads and videos. And I, I'm going to give Google credit. I feel like they've done a good job in recent years when they do do an ad. It's actually really good. And I thought this one really stood out and it was highlighting the accessibility features of the Google Pixel phone. And this gentleman is taking pictures where he is visually impaired and can't really see the screen very much to like take selfies or to take uh, pictures of other people. And the phone tells him like face in frame, two faces in frame, face and pet in frame. And it was just kind of a really nice ad talking about the, the accessibility feature from it and how it would be used in real life. And oh, well, you wrote the whole article about it, but I assume you liked it too. So Google has done this a couple times over the last however long. There was the first one I remember was they it was about uh, they called it Parisian love and it was like all it was is someone typing words into the search box and it's like study abroad in Paris and it's like how to say hello to a girl in French and it's like where to buy flowers right. in France and then it's That's like right. ch wedding chapels in Paris and then it's like wh where to buy a baby crib like it's a, it's a whole love story all just and it was really touching and it's like all you see is a person typing in words into the search box and you're like, wow, like Google did a really good job of telling stories and they have done that consistently. You know, I 
think it was in 2020, it was probably my favorite was it was a, I think it's a Google assistant feature where it's all you hear is the voice of an old man talking about his wife, who you presume has, is deceased. And he'll say something like, mm-hmm. remember that her favorite place to eat was such and such or whatever. And then Google assistant will tell you those yeah. things It will, it'll save your memories for you. Right. And this feature uh, is really I think it's it's an important thing for us to like call out when companies pay attention to the accessibility features that make their products better for everyone because we don't think about it. Like I can see the screen on my phone. If I want to take a picture, I just hold it up. I can push the button. There's multiple different buttons now that I can even push. It's like, it's very easy for me to do that, but there are a lot of people for whom that's not the case. And Google actually used a, a director who is blind. There's actually, I linked to a video of a behind the scenes with the director. I think his name is Adam Morse, oh, wow. who can only see like peripherally. So his screens are enormous. So he can actually like take, take it in. And it was his idea to put the like Vaseline over the lens to sort of simulate that experience of using a phone when you can't to take pictures when you can't. Wow. And the pho- yeah, just like you described, the phone will say, and it's using AI to detect like there are two faces and that it'll say, move the camera down for better framing. And then you just have to hold it and it will take the picture for you. And I just think that it's a reminder that, and it's to me, like this is one of the things I like about our show is that we're sort of talking about how technology relates to everyday lives. It's a reminder that the most important part of the technology are the people and the way that people use it. It's not just how cool are the features because this is a very cool feature, but it's also a very important feature for a lot of people. So it's a good ad. It's, a, it's very true. So, you know, kudos to Google for it. There was two videos. One is Brian Tong. He actually did a video about the accessibility features of Apple Vision Pro, which was something that was not, you know, talked about a lot during the initial launch. I think by nature of the device, you feel like how, you know, can accessibility even be a thing on something like this? Uh, but he actually goes over those features. And then there was actually a gentleman, I'll try and find the link for the show notes, but who is visually impaired and like went through the Vision Pro experience and talked about it. And um, and that was that was really good too. But you don't, the accessibility thing is a big deal. And, and I will say, I, I really try, and I've, I've not done a good job recently, but like when I post things to social media, I've had people who will say like, would really love to follow your content, but whenever you post a picture, you don't put the alt description in and I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I, I, I don't think about. And it's something that right. all of us, you know, if we, sometimes take a little more effort and, you know, not only will it help someone, but you can reach like a much wider audience. And that's why I think we hadn't talked about it after it re- released, but the Apple podcast app in 17.4 bringing transcriptions, mm-hmm. that's like a huge deal. Like that's a whole swath of people that can now experience podcasts who could not listen and maybe some, you know, and now they can read the entire transcript and Apple is doing like that automatically. And to be clear, so in iOS 17.4 in the Apple podcast app, Transcripts will be available for all episodes of all podcasts if creators allow them. And Apple is actually going to transcribe it, it themselves. If you don't upload a transcript yep. in your podcast host, they just transcribe it on their end. And they will have that transcript available in Apple Podcasts, which is pretty amazing. And so kudos to both like Apple and Google. And I'm sure other companies you know, have accessibility features like this. But I thought Google's ad was particularly effective. And uh, you know, yeah. see how real people will use this. Yeah, I agree. The only thing that's kind of interesting, and I heard uh, somebody, I don't remember who it was, but it was on a podcast talking, or maybe it was on social media, but about that podcast feature, that maybe it should be optional only because if you have a subscriber-only podcast, do you want text generated that could easily be copied and pasted and shared screenshots of otherwise? Because if, pe- if, if you've created a paywalled show, 
now you're making it, you know, you can't share that audio necessarily. Well, you could, but you have to jump through a bunch of hoops. So maybe like, it should, but you're right. Apple's just making it accessible for everyone, which I, I'll be honest. Like if you had to err on one side or another, I like, I think that's probably the right choice, but it is an interesting one because there are some people who are not trying to be, who are trying to be unaccessible, but in, in a, in an intentional way, right. They're trying to make it. So like one example would be like Ben Thompson. If you, you have to subscribe, you can subscribe to Stratechery and you can listen to his podcast, which is just a, him reading his article. So you, you could already get his article, but maybe he doesn't want the transcript to be available in the player for various reasons. I don't know. So it is kind of interesting, but yeah, I'm not arguing against accessibility. It's just interesting. The choices that they make. So that is interesting. And I'll have to see it's still being implemented like on the back end because we're in the beta period right now. And even like Apple side is not supporting everything. So we'll have to see it when it actually mm-hmm. launches 17.4, which all the big changes like side loading, cloud gaming, like all that's coming in 17.4, which might be coming pretty soon. Uh, we'll talk about it more, more then. We got some other news, Amazon Prime, Apple's AI photo image generator, which was pretty wild, and some other things about OpenAI. But before we get to all that, we want to thank our sponsor for today. They're back. You remember them. Audio Hijack, macaudio.com slash primary tech. I love Audio Hijack. We're using Audio Hijack right now, actually, uh, because that is what we, are. We, we run. We recorded Riverside to do the call, and that's what we use for the video. And then, of course, you get uncompressed wave audio. But Audio Hijack, I run it right in the menu bar. And it feels like a utility. Like I literally just right as we were starting the call, I click my audio hijack symbol in the menu bar. I have sessions for everything, which is an amazing feature of audio hijack. So I have a session that's set up for primary technology. I have a session for movies on the side. I have one for my videos. Like whenever I record a video for YouTube, whether it's my channel, Riverside, I have a session that records my other microphone and they're all set up and you can autofill things like dates. And if you want to counter for like episode numbers, you can do all that in the audio hijack window. And it's just running in the background, recording uncompressed wave audio. I actually helped Jason figure out how to do that. You can set up uncompressed wave audio. That's very nice. Appreciate <laughs> recording it. block. And it is just extremely powerful. And audio hijack is super easy. If you want to record audio, maybe from a microphone input, like I'm doing right now, but also record audio from say a browser. So right now I'm actually recording a backup of Jason through the audio coming through the Brave web browser and Audio Hijack lets you pull the audio from the browser, remove my input. So I just have Jason's audio and I can record that in a separate file. All of it is just drag and drop these blocks. You can have recording blocks, input blocks, and they have super powerful features like compressor, EQ, even transcription blocks now that you can put in the chain of whatever audio you're doing and it will apply those effects. It will transcribe the audio. And it just makes it super easy to record audio from anywhere. And you can even live stream, which, well, you know, Jason and I have talked about on the back end uh, if we want to mm-hmm. do some live streams for this show. So anyway, if you want to hear that, you know, let us know. But MacRadio.com plus amazing other applications like Loopback, which I use Loopback in conjunction with Audio Hijack often if you want to pull in like multiple audio sources and route audio different places. Or if you just want a simple like one button to record audio, but if you're like me and you've tried to use QuickTime in the past, sometimes it can be a little flaky, little flaky. Let's just be real. <laughs> audio Hijack's apps are never flaky. I don't think I've ever had a drop recording in Audio Hijack like ever. It's been amazing. Piezo is just a simple one button recording for audio. They have amazing apps. So here's what you do. You go to macaudio.com slash primary tech and there you can get $20 off instead of the 20% off because there was actually a typo in an email and so they're war- <laughs> like they're warranting the deal. $20 off Audio Hijack when you use coupon code primary tech, all one word, 
That'll be in the show notes. You can click the link in the show notes, use the promo code. And this is going through the first week of March. So they extended the deal. They come on to sponsor again. Everybody go get it. Go download it. Go try it. Let them know you came from Primary Technology by going to that link. And you can also save $20 on any of their bundles as well. So macaudio.com slash primarytech and use the coupon code primarytech for $20 off. Everybody go do it and they'll know you came from Primary Technology. Thanks to Audio Hijack and Rogue Amoeba for sponsoring this episode. I love Audio Hijack. One of my favorite apps. I feel like I should be concerned about the fact that you, f- you had to tell everyone that you felt feel the need to have a backup of my recording alone because somehow <laughs> Steven's not convinced that I'm going to actually do it. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> no, I know. I know you're recording. I'm a redundancy guy. I used to record Riverside Audio Hijack, and I had a Sound Devices Mix Pre Three that recorded to an SD card. I used to record to all three places just for my audio. I, I get it. Although, in fairness, there was at least one episode of this show when we got done, and I realized I had not started Audio Hijack, and was very thankful <laughs> that Stephen did not need my backup recording. So there we go. That's it. And I, I literally use it every day. Every video yeah. I record, every podcast, I, I use it all the time. It's amazing. All right. Speaking of audio, kind of a good transition. <laughs> Amazon <laughs> is removing an audio feature from Amazon Prime. All right. All right. I was you wondering know, how, where you, how you were going to land that one, but you did it. Good job. So basically, Amazon recently announced that their Amazon Prime video tier that comes with Amazon Prime, like if you just pay for Amazon Prime for delivery and that, you know, you get the Amazon Prime streaming service. Well, they recently inserted ads into that tier. And so you have to pay more if you want no ads for Amazon Prime Video. And now Amazon also drops features like Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos Audio unless you pay for that ad-free tier. And like, I guess times are tough over there or something. But I feel like this this is a nickel and diming situation to the nth degree. Like to charge an additional $3 a month, the ads to no ads thing fine like disney did it netflix is trying it does netflix still have an ad supported tier yeah but here's the difference and this is an important difference and this is i have not written about this latest thing but i probably will because it just makes me so angry because what netflix did is they said how about if we make a plan that has ads and we make it cheaper than the one you're paying for now right same thing with disney plus how about if we introduce an ad supported tier that is less expensive than the one you're paying now but if you like what you have right now everything's the same you don't you can just keep paying the same amount of money we'll probably raise the price a little bit in in the long run because that's what we do but everything's the same amazon is like what we what are we going to do like We've been giving this to people for free for the last however many years if they pay $139 a year for Prime. So there's really no way we can monetize this without just charging people extra. And what they're doing is they're going to charge you extra for the exact same experience that you've always had. And I think my person, it was one thing when they're like, well, we're adding ads into the main service that you've been getting all this time. And if you don't want the ads, you can pay more. Oh, now that apparently didn't motivate enough people. So we're going to take away Dolby Vision and Atmos unless you pay the extra amount. And so to me, it's like, you are taking away features for the same amount and you're making the experience worse for the same amount. And and Amazon Prime, there are some, you can actually just subscribe to Prime Video. I've never met a person who does that. But know. after I wrote an article, <laughs> I was contacted by someone from Amazon who, who told me, 
no, no, we, we've had this tier. You can do that. And I asked, does anyone, and they didn't get a response, but regardless, I don't know anyone who's like, <laughs> yeah, I pay for Netflix and prime video. Like that's just not a thing that people right. are doing. It's like we get prime video because we pay for free two day shipping or whatever. Right. Like, right. so they're just, they just have, there's no way for them to monetize that without doing this sort of thing. And my, my, take on that is then you're doing it wrong. Like you've built this system all backwards if you can't, if you can't do it. So I would never pay for Amazon prime video by itself. Right. I will never pay to upgrade because I also, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't think I've ever watched anything. The last thing I watched on Amazon prime video was the Chris Pratt, like was it terminal something? His like kind of espionage military Mm. show terminal list, the terminal list. Okay. I watched that, which was, I don't know. It was very violent. Uh, it was okay. Uh, but I, I never go there to watch anything. And so I have no desire to pay more for an ad-free version or Dolby Atmos. I just, I just don't. And there's been a lot of talk about this online too of like, is Apple TV the, the new HBO or whatever? And like, how do the streaming services rank as far as content? I forget who it was, but someone like actual, like a journalist wrote an article about how no one watches Apple TV plus or whatever. And then there was like right. an uproar, like everyone just like flooded the replies. <laughs> like, right. what are you talking about? Even Gruber was in on it. He was like, mm, actually, <laughs> there's a bunch of things that I watch on Apple right. TV plus. So I feel like in, in the like pantheon of streaming services, yeah, like Netflix, Disney plus, Apple TV plus, HBO max, I don't see Amazon prime video like in the top five. Like I don't like I see Peacock and even Paramount Plus above it. I mean, the Super Bowl got me to sign up for Paramount Plus, and I could that was, <laughs> that was more than I could say for Amazon. So I don't know. I, I don't see anybody. Yeah, I mean, the last thing that we watched on Amazon Prime, we I think we watched a Thursday night football game on Amazon Prime. Then maybe okay. there was I don't know. So like Thursday night football is their marquee thing right like that is their marquee that's why they paid all the money to have the thursday night games because people will watch and so i imagine that there's some inkling that they could get those people who care enough about thursday night football to then pay more but you're still gonna i mean it's a football game the whole point is to have ads you're still gonna have it you're not getting an ad free experience but maybe you maybe people want to watch football and dolby vision and Atmos. i don't know but i i just think the entire thing i, I don't like this trend. i mean disney <clears throat> at the same time like a week or two ago sent out an email to people saying yeah we're, we're not cool with the password sharing anymore and by the way we're going to track you so we can make sure that you're not sharing your password with people outside of your household we're going right. to like and i'm just like man this whole this whole thing just yeah it's cable again creepy yeah it just makes yeah it just makes me feel very icky about the way it's like it's like whenever a company looks at a bunch of people who are paying them instead of trying to convince people who are not paying them to pay them they're like well what could we do to get more money out of your pocket and i'm just like come on which which i think in order to be fair apple does feel like that sometimes too especially with icloud storage still being at five gigabytes on the free tier for the last one thousand years but yeah but can you really complain about a company not giving you enough of a thing for free i I mean i would agree with you that like it would make sense to be like yeah everybody gets well, because I mean, what, what would the number be? Really, it'd have to be 256 if you're going to say, you, well, you can back up your iPhone, right? Like, and everyone should back up their iPhone to iCloud. But the point is, like, I don't think it's just, yeah, I agree with you. That seems like paltry. There's some number bigger than five gigs that could be, but like, they're not saying, well, you were paying 20 bucks a month for a terabyte, and now you're going to be paying 20 bucks a month for 750 gigs, and we'll delete it all after one day. Like, I don't know, like... <laughs> We should return to this when we finally learn what satellite SOS is going to cost. 
because Ooh. Apple has been giving that for free and has not said anyone what it's going to cost, but everyone's had it for free since the iPhone 14. But they did say this is free for a period of, like, they, they were upfront about it, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. also there's, like, seven people who needed to That's use true. it, so. That's true. Yeah. I never thought I would be on the, the devil's advocate side of uh, Apple charging for things. I will just say, uh, the, the, the iCloud storage thing, I think the free tier should be 50 gigs. Like, 50 gigs, I think, is the next tier up. I think you could pay, like, 99 cents or whatever for 50 gigs and i think for people who don't use their phone very much and it's really just backing up their photos i think and and people who take a lot of photos it wouldn't be enough for them which then i think warrants paying for more iCloud storage but for someone maybe elderly person or just someone who's not like just doesn't do a lot with their phone i feel like 50 gigs like just moving that tier kind of like how storage tiers you know 32 gigs was like the iPad based storage. And then now 64 gigs is the iPad based storage. I feel like 50 gigs iCloud storage, it would just be as nice. And most people, I don't think that would make anyone stop paying for it because I think when people pay for it, they automatically go to the larger storage tiers because they're like, well, 50s, you know, so I don't know. That's my thought. Make the free tier 50. Here's one thing though. I think that make the only reason they make you pay 99 cents for like 50 gigs or whatever is because if you've paid 99 cents for the 50 gigs, now you're definitely turning the backup on, right? If the 50 gigs was free, the same number of people probably wouldn't even bother to put the backup on because they aren't even thinking about it. So the people who are thinking about, I should back up my phone are going to pay the 99 cents to have, to have some more storage to back up their photos. So I, well, I guess what I'm saying is, Yes, the five gigs seems like a ridiculous number to be giving people for free. But also when you really game it out, what would that number be that would make sense? Because I think, I don't think Apple cares about the 99 cents a month that it might get for 50 gigs. I think what it might want is for people to actually back up their devices. And unless they just gave you enough to back up your device for free and forced you to back it up, like a lot of people still are not going to do it. So I don't know. I just don't know where that number is that actually makes sense. I will just... um. I wanted to find this real quick. I can't believe I found it. Uh, basic Apple guy, friend of the show. He had this uh, tweet, which was amazing. It was a uh, the 2024 software update. He made it look like the old school, like pre-iOS yeah. 7 days. And the last line in the uh, fake update notes says, iCloud storage remains unchanged at five gigabytes. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. Talking about Apple Vision Pro, 2024, M3 chips, iCloud storage, five gigabytes. Yeah. I guess iCloud backup is not on by default, like when you set up a new iPhone. Right. You, as you were saying that, I, I was unsure how it was, but I feel like if 50 gigs was the free storage tier, they can just have that toggled on, like from the beginning. That's back true. Your phone. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's my thought. We'll see. I, I don't know if it will ever change, but I think it'd be good. It'd be good. Anyway, all right, we have some other news. We want to talk about uh, AI stuff because there's actually some Apple AI news and uh, ChatGPT or OpenAI. But this is something Apple actually released this study. Researchers at Apple have unveiled something called KeyFramer as a prototype generative AI image tool. This was actually a published research paper. In a, they published it in Cornell University. And The Verge has an article written about it. But this is Apple researchers. And it is actually u- utilizing OpenAI's GPT-4 as its base model, which I think is interesting. But it's to generate images via text, like Dolly 3 that you would do with ChatGPT. But it's nice to know that Apple's working on this. There's been a lot of rumors that this WWDC and with iOS 18, that we're going to see AI, probably not Apple say AI, but a lot of features that look like large language models, generative features uh, coming at this WWDC. And I'm excited to see that. But I just want to say, if Apple were to implement a tool like this in their applications, 
imagine Keynote and being able to generate images, animations, graphics in Keynote. Like if you're trying to make a slideshow, like that's just one use case of this kind of amazing thing. And then pages too. Like if you wanted to generate or make a chart from these cells and numbers and it'd be, you know, it's pretty easy right now. Like numbers does pretty good at that. But to just be able to type real quick, like make a 3D chart of these numbers and make it make sense. And if it was actually good enough to do that, I think it's pretty exciting. So yeah, they made a thing. First of all, I don't know if you remember the days when you could do basically what you described with Clippy in PowerPoint, but I don't think we want to go back to those days. I'm terrified (laughs) of the idea that people will be making keynote presentations by typing in, make me a planet that spins because uh, anyway, but this particular thing is interesting because the output of this is CSS, right? This is, it doesn't make a video animation for you. It will output CSS. So the idea would be you could use a, a vector graphics file which a vector graphics file is different than a JPEG in that it's just math. Basically it's like draw a line between point A and B and it doesn't matter how big you scale the image. It, it means, you know, it, it just creates that on the fly. It's a dynamic right. uh, image as opposed to like a JPEG where it's just pixels that are either, you know, different colors or whatever. And, and you can scale them up bigger, but then it's a defined resolution regardless. And so this is like, take the math and then make it do something different and output that as CSS. So you could use this for like a transition, a, a swipe transition on a website, or like you described, you could do simple animations in different presentation type things. I think that the, the obvious implication is like, this is step one, right? Of a thing that Apple is sure. experimenting with to build into other things. The last thing you said though is actually real where you could just say, make me a chart that shows this, this, and this. And you can do that with Copilot already in PowerPoint and Gemini will is the the goal will be if you are using a Google workspace account, you'll be able to do the the same thing in Google slides. Now I don't think you should, we've already talked about Google slides. I have strong feelings and this will not make Google slides better. But I do think it will be interesting to see, you know, as Apple flushes this out. And and it's interesting. Like, I think this might have been first found by VentureBeat. And then obviously other places wrote about it. But I think Apple just quietly will release these research papers. And you can actually learn a lot about what they think about certain technologies by reading through some of these things and, and kind of get a picture of, huh, wouldn't it be interesting if this was a part of your Mac or your iPad or, or whatever. So I, I don't know what the practical application will be. Cause this is not, there was a demo, like this was a research study. There was a demo. This is not like a beta product or anything like that, but maybe, maybe it will be soon. Yeah, it would be cool. And, and this coincides with rumors, like how the iPhone 16 and iOS 18 is going to have generative AI features. And what it, it was on the earnings call, which we talked about last week, but Tim Cook really alluded to that AI is going to be a big thing for them this year. And I think he actually said the word AI this time. He didn't say like yes. large language models. In the, yeah, he actually said AI. Well, and he was asked specifically about AI, and then he said, we'll have more to say later right. this year. Yep. That's right. I, I'm excited for WWDC, honestly. I mean, we're still a few months away, but I mean, maybe we'll see each other in person there, Jason. There's a Ooh. chance. There's a chance. That'd we be great. Each other there. Just saying. Yeah. I'm also thinking about WWDC in a sense of like, Apple has a whole new platform, namely Vision OS, that's now going to take up a huge portion of the keynote probably too. And so yep. the pace of those events, at least the last few years watching from a distance, it has felt so rapid fire. It's like iOS 18, duh, duh, duh. iPadOS, duh, duh, duh. actually, when they get to iPadOS, it's like, here's the iOS 18 features, but on a bigger screen. Okay, next. <laughs> no, yep. uh, it has felt a little bit like that. Let's be real. Uh, but all the different plans. So I'm curious how they're going to 
place Vision Pro in the lineup. You know, I feel like in usually during WWDC, it's like iOS first, the biggest platform, most users, and then they kind of go down the list. Mac OS usually towards the end ish, and then any the other announcements. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious where they put Apple Vision Pro in the in the order. Do you have a prediction here? Where do you think they're going to put it? I do not have a specific prediction about that, but I've what they typically will do is they'll start with like you said they may start with the iphone or whatever but they will start with like they have a core set of features they want to talk about and they divvy them up among the platforms because a lot of them are the same right and so you get to like the ipad and they're like well we still make those we haven't had a new one but yeah it's there and but they'll talk about a feature and they're like oh and by the way that's also available on the watch and the and the phone and you're like oh well then why don't you talk about it when you're talking about the phone it's like well because then we would have had literally nothing to say about the ipads that we aren't nothing to talk about right so so the vision pro i imagine will either be first or last right it doesn't make a lot of sense to just drop it in the middle but it 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 also may make sense for it to be like hey we make ipads and by the way we make one for your face and so let's talk about the features now of the vision pro because essentially they're they're so closely linked in so many different ways so but and i wouldn't actually be surprised if part of the discussion at wwdc is better ways to convert your ipad app to vision pro right not just running it but maybe there's ways that they that maybe they'll have some ways you can you know sort of catalyst for vision pro type thing I also, I think it's just wild too. Like I imagine when they talk about Vision OS at WWDC, it'll be Vision OS 2, 2.0 or whatever. Mm. And like, we literally just got this in hand two weeks ago. You know, it, it'll be, it'll feel probably like a quick quote unquote update for us. And maybe with some big changes, you know, there was a, someone on threads was talking about how watch OS changed so dramatically from like watch OS one to two to three in those early years. So yeah, I'm I'm curious how much it will change, and yeah, so we'll see. I'm yeah. curious how that's gonna go. Yep. All right, I want to get to our personal tech question, uh, but real quick, we'll do like rapid fire more right. AI news because it's more it's more of that. But OpenAI, who runs ChatGPT, is reportedly developing an online search product. I think this is interesting, especially compared to like the Arc search app or the Arc browser, which we talked about last week. I think it was last week's episode using like AI basically to generate web page or like formulating search results in like a more digestible format but showing you the information rather than like just linking you to sources i think open ai would probably be pretty good at it but i think that would be a huge competition for google gemini which yeah. i think google is supposed to be integrating more and more into the search part of their business is that right yeah there, actually there was a, so super like short sidetrack from that there was a very good article that i recommend people read i believe it was in wired with lauren good talk it was an interview with sundar pachai essentially like the thesis is if anybody is going to cannibalize the search experience it's going to be us which is actually a very apple way of looking at things right if anybody's going to cannibalize sales of the ipod it's going to be apple with the iphone if anybody's going to cannibalize size sales of the mac it's going to be apple with the ipad and so you know, Sundar Pichai was talking about how Google has to figure out how to incorporate AI. There you go. Exactly. That He just pulled up the article on, on the YouTube feed. So, and I'm sure we'll put a link to that in case you're just listening to this and you want to read it, but it's a great, it's a great interview talking about like, what does that future look like for Google when everything around them is trying to take away the link, the idea that searches where you type something in and you get a bunch of links. Google has been doing this for a while. Like if you just type in the word flight from, you know, Detroit to Tampa, it'll just try to book the flight. And I won't try to book it for you, but it'll show you a Google travel, you know, Google flights result that you could then book instead of saying you should go to Expedia or you should go to Delta's website or whatever. So I think that this is a, you know, we had this conversation when we talked about the ARC 
browser search again names i can't remember the names exactly but the arc search app and it's super useful for people but their entire premise is we will strip away the entire web and we'll just give you the information and we'll block the ads if you click through to the site it's like well then no one's going to make sites web like where are you going to get the information from in the future and so no one has figured that out i think google is in the best position to sort of figure it out because they've just been doing it but open ai clearly has the critical mass behind people using chat GPT for stuff. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've noticed lately that chat GPT four, you know, if I'm just using that interface to get information, it's gotten a lot better even over the last six months. Like it has become a lot more reliable. I have used it to say, you know, I'll say, Hey, what was the key point from this company's earnings call? And what were, what did they report? And it'll give me the answer. And then if I go and check it, it's like, Oh, that was actually true. It didn't just completely make up a bunch of stuff that isn't, you know, (laughs) Apple made a trillion dollars. Well, no, that's not true. (laughs) So, and I will say, we talked about Google Gemini last week. So I actually went to try some of my workflows that I do day to day, which one of them is transcribing my video, taking that transcript into chat GPT and asking for title description and tags for YouTube. I do that with every video I make, at least as a starting point. I pulled it into Gemini to see, which I'm like, YouTube is literally a Google product. I would think Google Gemini would offer a great uh, basis for title description and tags. And honestly, it didn't do as as good of a job. Like I just found it did not give me as robust options. It did not give me as much content in response to my prompt and I use the exact same prompt in Google Gemini and and I did upgrade like you did I signed up for the uh Google or the Gemini Pro Cloud whatever that's called so I can do Gemini, Gemini advanced that lets you use Gemini Ultra advanced. in the Google app <laughs> There you go That I got I it for that. you <laughs> So I was using the best Yeah yeah I was using the best version of it but it was still I don't know I didn't it wasn't as good as useful to me as ChatGPT so you know, Google definitely has some competing there. And the last uh, AI thing I thought was interesting was Slack actually adding AI tools into Slack, which we all know Jason's favorite application is Slack. Oh, he yeah. likes using it. I love uh, it that's all the time. The one reason why he might buy an Apple Vision Pro is to use <laughs> Slack in Apple Vision. In Pro. my face. That's, that's what I need. I will say I installed it just to kind of like say I ran Slack in Apple Vision Pro and it's not that bad. And I was going to come on here and tell you I did it, but I immediately deleted it because I never want to do Slack in there. Yeah. <laughs> I fully, I fully uh, agree with your uh, sentiment there. So anyway, not that bad is a very low bar for Slack. And I just want to be clear. I actually think Slack is a super useful tool. Like the idea of Slack and the actual design of Slack, I don't have a problem with. What I have a problem with is the fact that it creates a sort of communication structure that just becomes very unwieldy and unmanageable very quickly because it's, it's, it's hard to keep things organized. And a lot of what Slack has tried to do over the last year is make it easier for people to triage and organize different types of things. They have a catch up feature that they just rolled out, which is essentially like Tinder for your Slack messages. It's like swipe left, swipe right. Do you want to keep this? I'm not even, that's not even a joke. That's like a real thing that you do now on your phone. And I hate it. I hate everything about it. All I want to know is like, show me which channels I need to like, I'm, I have gotten very good at this and I base the way I've gotten very good at it is I just turn off everything. (laughs) I turn off all of the Slack features, all of the Slack notifications. And when I'm ready to go and look at something, I just go and I same thing true with my inbox, by the way, for email. Well, well, I'll save that for personal tech because we have a question related to inboxes. So I'll, I'll save yes, that piece yes, of it. Yes. But I don't think I want Slack to be summarizing a channel for me or telling me. I don't know. I'm just not sure. Yeah. I mean, there are some channels in some of my Slacks where there are a lot of messages. And sometimes 
Like they're not mission critical. And so I would, I wouldn't mind a summary, but it all depends on how well it does and how accurate it is. And like, can it actually pull maybe the two or three key pieces of information from these last hundred messages? And you know, it remains to be seen. I just looked in my, I have one, I have a Slack that's would probably have enterprise features and it does not have this AI thing yet. So we'll see, but it's interesting. I think, you, you know, summarizing, I will say chat GPT is good at summarizing. Yeah. Uh, that is another thing I use chat GPT for is, is summarizing certain things. I do and have a pro tip. It's pretty good at it. I have a pro tip for Slack though. Yeah. If you find that you are in a channel for work, for whatever, and that channel just gets so many messages on a constant basis that it's very hard for you to keep up. Uh, my simple solution is I just leave that channel. And if anyone in there needs me, they can just DM me. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'm like, I don't need that mental overhead. I just, or I, I guess at a, at a minimum, I mute it. And then I only get a notification yeah. if someone directly mentions me. So that's what I do. Yes. That's a pro tip for you. I do that too. That as funny as that sounds, that is a pro tip. Yep. <laughs> Honestly. Yep. All right. So we have a personal tech from one of our reviewers, Jenna core. And then we have a bonus episode coming next. I'm going to ask Jason about his Tesla. You still have a Tesla, right? I do. Yeah, I did not return that. I have, to, <laughs> have some questions. I have some questions. So that's going to be the bonus episode. But for our final segment, personal tech, Jenna Core asked, when it comes to email, I think Jason and I probably have multiple email accounts. I know I have iCloud, I have Gmail, I have an Office 365 account I have to deal with. I have FastMail for my personal mail. I have all these email accounts. Do we do the one inbox to rule them all method and check them all at once? Or do we do the thing where we have separate inboxes and check the separate accounts separately, maybe even in separate apps. Uh, Jason, uh, I'll let you go first. What is your strategy for this? Um, so I was just looking so I would make sure that I could confirm this. Uh, I have seven email addresses that I use on a like regular basis. And I use... I, and I just use one inbox and it all flows into that one inbox, but I use spark. And one of the things that spark does very well is it triages people versus newsletters versus notifications and in the things that you don't want to see in your inbox. It just, it's kind of, it is similar in a way to, to, if you just go to the gmail.com to check your Gmail, it categorizes them into like promotion, which I don't recommend. It's terrible. I don't think you should use Gmail on the web, but if you do, you can, you know, the organizational part and spark will do a similar thing. And the nice thing about spark is if it gets it wrong, if it puts a person in the notification, you can very easily train it. Like, Nope, this person should always go here. And you can actually create some other groups where you can say, this person should go in priority. So they always show up at the top or this. So I do, and I have three email addresses that I don't care that much about so i they triage into their own group so they don't show up individually in the inbox so i know that was a little bit confusing maybe i'll take a screenshot of my inbox after i check to make sure that (laughs) that it's work safe right now and send it and and you can put that in there if you really want to but i have one inbox i just check it's always available to me the stuff is in there at, at, at all times um and that generally works the best for me because I just, I don't sit there. I don't have like, I don't have notifications on for my inbox. I specifically choose when I'm going to go look at my inbox. And then I've gotten very good at triaging. Like this needs to be dealt with. Spark has a really great uh, snooze feature. So I can be like, put this back up here in an hour, put it back up tomorrow morning, put it up later today. And I can set times for each of those things. And so if it's like, oh, I really do need to deal with this today. I don't have time now. I just snooze it until later that day. And then I, then I know that the next time I go back to my inbox, I'll be able to deal with it. I do I don't want to have multiple 
email accounts or m- multiple email applications for different accounts. That just feels like it'd be really complicated. The only, the last thing I'll say is I do have the Apple mail app on my Mac and my other devices. And I will occasionally go to check it. And the reason is that sometimes things end up in like a spam folder that shouldn't. And the, the easiest way I found to find that is to just go to the default Mac app and search for different things that believe it or not, People think I'm crazy when I say this, but I actually think that the default mail app has the best search interface of most of the mail tools I've used. So I just keep it kind of like as a, oh, I'll open this if I can't find something that I really need to find. So there you go. Was that, was that, was that even the question that somebody was asking? I hope. Probably not. Uh, but you okay. talked about email for a while, so that was related. <laughs> no, no, I, did, I get it. I mean, bottom line is you look at all your email accounts in one inbox. Yes. And then you have various organizational methods for dealing with those messages depending what it is yes yeah you just answered my question in 10 less minutes thank you (laughs) (laughs) no no but that was good i've tried many third-party applications for email i'm a apple mail user on all my devices i use the stock mail app and i have i just looked i have five different email accounts and then a bunch of email addresses you know because i have a bunch of aliases for some or whatever but I use the Apple Mail one and I do look at the inbox all together. Like I look at the all inboxes view by default and I just deal with all my email there. I don't get a lot of email for several of those accounts. And pro tip, I think I've mentioned it before, but set up an email filter wherever you have your email. You can do this with Gmail, you can do it with Fastmail, you can do it with Outlook. Set up an email filter where any email that has the word unsubscribe or manage email preferences in the body of text of the email, I skip the inbox and I have it go directly to a folder that I call newsletters. I don't delete it because there are rare occasions where someone might have wrote one of those words in an email to me personally and I have to get it, but it cleans up my email so much and prevents me from having to deal with so many messages like that. And I still check that newsletter folder pretty much like once a day at least. And I can just scroll through it. And I'm an inbox zero person where I like ending the day with zero emails in my inbox. And that one filter allows me where I can have all those newsletter type emails go to that folder. And I don't have to like move it somewhere else afterwards. Like it's not sitting in my inbox and I delete or have to move to a folder. Like I just leave the ones in that newsletter folder and I create one for each email account. But Bottom line, I use the all inboxes view. I have all my email there. And I like the stock mail app, save for one feature, which is the remind me later or snooze feature. Apple added the remind me later feature, I think last year in iOS 16 and macOS whatever. And it's, it's not the actual snooze feature. Like every other email app, the snooze feature, when you snooze an email, that email will disappear from your inbox go away to some like multiverse dimension. And then at the time that you have set, whether you've snoozed it for a day or to a specific time and date, it will reappear in your inbox at that time. Apple's remind me later is like, we're just going to leave this email here and just send you a notification maybe when you say, which is not useful for me. And I don't think is what most people thought of when they thought of a snooze remind me later feature. That is my biggest gripe. And I hope that behavior changes maybe in iOS 18, where Remind Me Later can actually disappear that email from my view. And so I will use the other email apps on my phone just to snooze emails. I will go to the Gmail app 
or the Outlook app <laughs> just to snooze email. I know that's ridiculous. <laughs> I should probably use Spark or whatever. But one of the other things that I, I really like about Apple Mail is the VIP notifications feature where Apple Mail lets you set specific contacts as VIPs. And then in the notification settings, which you can do on all of your Apple devices, you can still say, send me a notification when this VIP, when anyone in this VIP list emails me, but don't send me any other mail notification. I want that feature and I use it. And I feel like other apps like Spark and other third-party email apps, they'll have settings that are like, only notify me of important emails, but that's not enough granular control for me. Like I want it to be only this person. When this person emails me, send me a notification. When this person emails me and no one else. And so that's why I still like the VIP feature is still good enough where I will overlook the bad snooze feature in Apple's stock mail app. And that's what I do. And now Jason's going to tell me what I should be doing. No, nope, just so you know, you um you can do that in Spark where you can set someone as priority and get notif- and then only choose to get notifications. So not just like notify me about important emails where it's doing that calculation behind the your back to decide whatever. You can just say I only want to be notified about, you know, priority. So for each email, each email account you can say for this email account, because I only give this email address to like the seven people I care about, notify me for all emails. But for this other email address, only notify me of the people who I have tagged as priority, not tagged, but like have said our priority. So you do get some pretty fine-tuned controls about, hey, I only want push notifications for new emails that fit these criteria. So just, I mean, I don't care if you use Spark or not. I get, I have no skin in that game. I just did want Zero you to know commission. you can do that. Yeah, right. I mean, if they want to sponsor this show, we'll, we'll be happy to talk to them, but they don't. And so I'll be honest, I, as you were talking, I just started to download Spark on my Mac because there's this weird thing where I have a Google email account for work that I need to have. And for some reason, Mac OS refuses to log in in the mail accounts uh like settings pane i get an error every time maybe it's a google error but every time i try to log in with this google account on mac os it will say like 404 error can't log in i can i have it on my phone i have it on my ipad but for some reason on my mac it won't do it and i feel like it's a bug but i can't mm. i don't know for sure but anyway so i'm gonna try spark that, right. that i mean it's been annoying because i don't get those emails uh, on my Mac, I have to look at my phone yeah. for that one Gmail account, unless I go to gmail.com, which I, like you said, I don't like doing. I'm going to try Spark, Jason. Next episode, Good. we're going to have a follow-up. I can't wait. I'm happy user. I'm very excited. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I mean, I'm always down to try something. I'll upend my entire note, task, or email <laughs> workflow just to try a new app. I do it regularly. I mean, the good thing about email is it's generally it's generally non-destructive because it's not like you have to take all of the accounts right. out of your other one. You could just delete the app and go back and right. you're usually fine. So there you go. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it this week and then we will follow up. So let us know, listeners. What is, do you, Are there Spark users out there? Do you use the stock mail app, Apple Mail? You can let us know on social media. Jason and I's all of our social handles are in the show notes. And don't forget, give us a five-star rating and review. You could just write the word nerd, or you can write what email app you use. We want to get to a hundred five-star reviews this week. So go in there. You could help us out by doing that. And if you'd like an ad-free version of the show, and you can get the bonus episodes every week, you can support the show directly in Apple Podcasts, or you can go to primarytech.fm, click bonus episodes, and you can support the show there. People have been doing that, and we really appreciate your support. 
Also, sometimes the show notes will get cut off because I put a lot of links in the show notes. And so if for some reason in Apple Podcasts it's cut off for you, go ahead and go to primarytech.fm and you can see all the show notes in all their glory. And you can also watch it on YouTube. I include all the links there as well. YouTube.com slash at primarytechshow. That link is in the podcast show notes if you want to go watch, subscribe there. We just crossed 400 subscribers, Jason, on the YouTube channel. I don't know if That's amazing. I'm excited. That's awesome. It is. It's very. It's a lot of fun. So if you haven't, then even if you don't watch it on YouTube, just go over there and subscribe to the channel. And uh, let's try to get to 1,000 subscribers this week. Just crazy goals for the next week, but we're going to do it. Because okay. you guys are amazing. This is great. <laughs> let's do it. So let's go. we're going to go over to the bonus episode. We'll see you guys there.